What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Product Uncensored Show. This is the October edition, and what this means is it's October. October is Q4, so I know everyone is thinking, oh, final quarter of the calendar year, we need to do well. So thank you for taking the time to you know just listen and chill out with, with me and my guest. Um, yeah, I'll introduce my guest a little later, but I'm your host, Colin, and there are a few things that um, I'll run through just before we start, right? Um, so as usual, our videos are on YouTube. So if you are going to YouTube, you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. And of course, when you subscribe, you must click the bell icon. Yeah, YouTube's algorithm, when you click on that bell icon, it's better for everybody. Okay, second one is you don't like looking at my face. That's also okay. You can do it on audio. We're on all major podcasting platforms. I'm usually the one, the one I usually listen to on is Spotify, but everything else is showing, I don't know, somewhere here or here. I can never get it right. But anyway, and the last one is if you want to support this show, purely voluntary, of course, um, you can do it at Buy Me A Coffee. The link is in the description. And if you don't want to, that's fine as well. See, very fast, right? Okay, let's get down to introducing my guests and then we are ready to go. We have today another very special episode because this is our first female product leader from Malaysia. Um, if you remember, we had our first product leader that was based in Malaysia um, when I interviewed Pratik. Um, link will be up here somewhere. And then second one was um, I got um, the CPO of uh, Mind Valley, where we chose Wuhan to come on the show. And now we have our third Malaysian guest, but this will be the first female product leader from here. So I'm, I'm very excited. Um, she's been making a name for herself in the Malaysian product scene. Um, she's been uh, working with an organization um, that's been making waves as well. They were recently acquired by Pine Labs. Um, she's now the regional um, product uh, head, head of regional regional head of products for Fave. Um, please welcome to the show, uh, Weijia. Welcome to the show, Weijia. Hi, Colin. I really enjoy your introduction, especially all the pointing, imaginary pointing everywhere. You know, I can't yes. get it right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I'm sorry I messed up your, your company's... <laughs> your no, company's no, it's all good, I'm good, yeah. Yeah, so thank you so much for, for being on the show. Um, you know, uh, as I always tell people on in, you know, in all my previous episodes, um, one of the things that personally I'm committed to do is to try and get as many female leaders, uh, product leaders um, on the show as possible. Um, unfortunately, not, not always easy. You know, I've been turned down quite a few times. And then, you know, la last episode, I managed to get Swati. And then this episode, I managed to get you. So very excited, you know, getting two, two female leaders uh, back to back. So thanks thanks for agreeing to this. Um, and also, you know, also thank you because for those of you who don't know, um, Weijia is also a mom. So, you know, she's got, she's got her boy to worry about, but she's being really good. And she's just saying, you oh, know, just before we record, if my kid comes in, is it okay? It's like, yeah, it's fine. So... Yeah, we'll, we'll really jump a little bit more into that as well, right? This whole journey of being a mom, being a product leader, how do you balance both? We'll, we'll definitely get into that because for me, I definitely want to know. But first, but first, we must always start with the introduction. So Weijia, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Maybe tell us a little bit more about, you know, the company that you work for as well. Sure, sure. Um, and Colin, thanks for having me. Super honored um, uh, to be part of, you know, Product Uncensored. Um, so yeah, a bit of myself. Um, I've actually, I, I would say I, I started my life 
very much being a generalist. I did a lot, a lot of different things. Um, uh, maybe I'll preface it by uh, there's this book that someone I really respect gave me. It's called Range, and they talk about two different lives. One is the Roger Federer life, where he did a lot of different things, a lot of different sports. He was actually not just a tennis player. He did golf, um, uh, you know, football, squash, etc. And then there's Tiger Woods, who's a specialist. So I resonate my career a lot with like the Roger Federer path. So for myself, early, early, like decades ago, I actually... Um, I'm actually a law and uh, accounting graduate, nothing to do with product today. Uh, I graduate and, and the reason why I went to that very, very traditional come from a Chinese family that believe that it, unless you're law, accounting, you know, engineering, doctor, um, those are the pillars of success in life. So for me, I was a very filial child. Um, I was also interested in it, went into law and accounting. And also did a ton of internships in law, like corporate law, banking, etc. Just dabbled in a lot of different things. Um, and accounting as well, so worked in a big four. Um, when I graduated, I then also went into a very safe career path. I actually uh, joined a sovereign wealth fund and worked in investment management. It's a company called Kazana, also based in Malaysia. Essentially, they're a government-linked company. They invest in a lot of you know, your day-to-day -day brands, whether it's Telecom Malaysia, whether it's Cellcom in Asiata, um, Telco was an area that I worked in quite a lot when I was in investments, or whether it's Malaysia Airlines. Um, these were the type of companies that, did, that Kazana invested in back then. And we were, in a way, the grandparent, the shareholder that is monitoring and managing all these investments. So that mm. I spent the bulk of, you know, four years. My first career was in that, in that scene. Worked a lot um, with these companies to essentially um, oversee them, do a lot of corporate governance stuff. So very, it was very interesting, but I felt so detached um, from the operations of the company. I was the sort of person that really liked to build things. Um, sometimes literally with my own two hands, see it come to life um, and then grow, grow it. So I was at that juncture in my life where I was exposed to, you know, Telco was in a very mature state. So we were looking mm. at where else can we invest um, uh, in, in order to grow within that industry. And we looked towards a lot of technology-based companies. Um, a lot of different companies we looked at um, as potential to invest some super apps, you know, some, uh, some uh, uh, SaaS companies. And every time I met these co-founders, I was so impressed by how they were using technology to disrupt traditional industries. You would never imagine that your life, whether it's hailing a taxi or whether it's ordering groceries online, could be so different 10 years ago, you know, five, 10 years ago. And to me, that, that was the spark of where I wanted to go into technology. So I... Took me, took me years to decide this, by the way. Mm. I decided to leave my job. I was like, okay, bye-bye corporate investment world. And then decided that I was going to, uh, I had different choices and I decided and choices to venture into tech, right? Do I want to be an entrepreneur in residence? Do I want mm. to be a product manager? Do I want to be a, a software engineer? And I actually chose the software engineer path because someone once told me again, it's like, you want to work with a tech company? Got to understand the tech. And mm. I did not understand tech. 
Um, it was a black box to me. So, so sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, just just before you continue, right? So you were saying that at that point in time, you were already aware of this role called product management or product manager. No, actually, you're right. I was not aware, but someone, someone, I did not know what a product. So I, it was a role that was offered, but I did not know what it did. Okay. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. It was sorry. Just, yeah. No. No problem. No problem. Um. Yeah. I don't. Even when I was software engineer, I didn't know what a product manager was <laughs> back then. back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then. Uh. Yeah. And then. And then. So I decided. Okay. I was going to join a boot camp. You know. And back then, it was. Uh. I don't know if you remember. It was like Cheryl Yeo's time. She came in. She was CEO of Magic. She started doing a lot of things in the industry to spur the technology sector. Mm. So one of them was actually doing this bootcamp, working with Next Academy, yes. establishing the bootcamp, right, to build all these backend engineers or frontend engineers, engineers in general in the industry. So I was part of that first cohort mm. and, um, and they were giving out scholarships. So I was like, perfect, you know, I can save costs and learn at the same time. Uh, did that for nine weeks and then build a first prototype. And it was almost like one thing led to another because I met a lot of really talented friends in the bootcamp and we decided that and and we decided that hey maybe we can uh, uh, start a company um, at that stage we met a lot of people who wanted to start companies but didn't know how to build mm. it from a mm. tech perspective so we used that as a, a, a building block to be like oh you know um, my co-founders then Rizal and Eugene um, we came together we started talking to these found uh, co- co-founders what do you want to build let us try to build the mvp for you again we didn't know it was called an mvp by the way mm-hmm. we were just like let's build the first version of your product so we did a lot of that and and uh yeah one of the companies was actually faith or kfit back then mm-hmm. and yes. then yeah yeah and <laughs> a very long time ago and then um they uh azumi my current cto he contacted us. He said, I heard you guys have a company. We're looking for some freelancers also built this segment of our organization. And that was like the beginning of my foray into faith. Mm. Um, I, we freelanced with Zumi for a bit. And a few weeks later, Zumi was like, hey, why don't all three of you come and work for us? We need, we need engineers. Um, and, uh, yeah, Rizal and myself, we joined, we joined Faith. I was excited. I'm like, wow, okay. I've never been a software engineer legitimately before. So let me join Zumi, you know, mm-hmm. and that and Zumi was a really like prolific CTO at the time. He, I saw him in conferences and I was like, I want to work with that guy. Um, so yeah, Rizal and myself joined. I was then my first role as a software engineer, really enjoyed it, really loved building stuff. Um, and then. I also really enjoyed working with my then head of product. His name was Abhishek and he, 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 he ventured, uh, he did a lot of different things as well, like ex-Somato guy, ex-Grab. Mm. Um, and then I worked with him, didn't know it as well. I was actually working with him on some of the product-related stuff, even though I was in an engineering role. Mm. Um, so he asked me to do stuff like, oh, can you do some analytics to study some of the consumer behaviors? And I was like, yeah, happy to do that. I did that when I was in Kazana. So let me do that. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, one thing led to another. And, we, and he was like, do you want to think about being a product manager? 
And I didn't know it, but I actually really wanted to, those were the things that I really liked, like the mm. things that product managers did. I never knew there was a term for it, never knew there was a definition for it, but whatever they did was things that I liked, talking to users, learning about user behavior, um, identifying problems and then solving them, you know, basic tenets of product that I really enjoyed. And, and then, you know, here I am today doing product. Yeah. So very long intro. Colin. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I mean, um, yeah. what I always tell all the guests is that one of the amazing things about this show, at least for me personally, right, I won't speak for the rest of the listeners, is that we I get to hear all the different stories of how you know leaders became leaders, right? And that's essentially the crux of why I started the show. I wanted to know mm-hmm. how, you know, what what is the journey, right? Because I spoke like this is like episode 29, by the way. So there's been, I've had 29 guests. Almost every single one has had a different journey. Like no two journeys have been exactly the same. So yeah, for me, the, the introduction is actually the very important part because it sets the stage up for like, okay, so now I have more, more questions. So don't worry about that. That, that was all good. Um, and yeah, like I, I said, love the sound of your job, by the way, Colin. You get to talk to so many people and and listen uh, to stories. Well, it's it's not a job, unfortunately. I wish I got paid for this. Um, <laughs> no, I see. I lie. I, no, but I lie. Um, I I don't wish I get paid for this. Um, yeah, one of the things that I really had to, when I started this out, was to to actually ask myself, like, what would I do if this took off? Of course, you know, you have to think about the eventuality of that and. <laughs> Um, to me, it was like I never wanted this to be something that I would do full time, or, or you know, like this would be my primary, you know, my bread, primary bread and butter. Because it's different when you do something as a passion, and when that passion suddenly becomes your bread and butter. Oh yes. Yeah. So so yeah, but I yeah I take your point about you know being able to talk to other people. Um, and that's also for me, really good because it's an excuse, right? You know, I got questions to ask, you know, I want to I wanna know people. I'm like, okay, why, instead of getting a call, why don't I get a show running? Then I get people on the show and then I ask you questions. Right. Such a yeah, weird situation, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, sorry, this show's not about me. It's about you. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so let's come back. Let's come back. So you were saying about how, you know, when when you joined Fave, you were the software and you were you are you were a software engineer, and then you were working mm-hmm. with Abhishek, the then head of product. Um, and then you made that move um to be a product manager, right? So yeah. if if I understand how you you mentioned the timeline, Abhishek was the one who approached you and said, Hey Bija, do you want to consider being a product manager? Was that what happened? You know what? The the facts of it were it it's a bit gray now because I felt that there was indication from him, but there was also indication mm, from me Okay, okay. Um, in terms of that transition into product because I was interested in what he was doing mm. and he also saw something in me, um, mm. whatever that, um, uh, and then we bridged the gap. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here, here's the question that I think will be very interesting for everyone to hear. So how did that transition happen, right? Because you're not, it's not the usual transition of, you know, I'm a product manager to senior product manager to, you know, director or, or being a single contributor to being a, a people manager. In your case, you are literally switching departments or switching roles from one being a software engineer and now you're yeah. being a product manager. Yeah. And, you know, same company, same number of people, but suddenly you are now joining a different role. So how how did that how did you work it out? Did you like you know do half software engineering, half product management, or was there like you know you say okay after two months it's a clean cut? Like how how did you make that transition? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me let me dig back into my memory bank how that happened. Yeah. So um, now, firstly, firstly, in terms of of uh, in terms of in terms of uh, realizing that kind of switch, I think it's important that uh, there is intent from the person who wants to make the switch. So so whether or not it was like you know casually Abhishek asking you know me. Uh, me in indicating intention. I was very really clear at a certain point of time that after all those conversations that I wanted to make a switch. So I actually mm. told him that I want to make the switch. Um, and it's when you express that intention that other people around you will make it happen for you, especially if you really, really want it. Um, now, actually, that period of time, coincidentally, was also when I was pregnant. So mm. I was... I was pregnant and I I was um uh wanting to take a bit of a longer time with um with the post pregnancy. I was planning it that way because I actually gave birth to Ben in in Melbourne, mm-hmm. so my little bloke is an Aussie bloke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so then there was a transition of um uh coming back, and and you know one thing that was great about Faith was there was very they were very supportive of my plans to want to do this. So uh, back then, I was still an engineer. I was pregnant. Imagine me like baby bump. I had my laptop coding. You know that was that was essentially like the the funny part. And and the thing is, I was the only female engineer in the team, and then the only female pregnant engineer in the team. Um, and then I I spoke about I wanted to transition to this, but maybe can I do that after I come back from um my maternity leave? And he was like, yeah. You know, we will wait because if you want it and you're good and you got potential, we'll wait. So I did that. I actually worked remotely. And during that remote period of time, Abhishek, how he helped with the transition is he gave me certain product manager experimental tasks to do. Things that he didn't have time to give to other product managers who were like doing full-fledged, like executional, like I have a product I need to roll out. He he gave me certain more experimental stuff that he wanted to explore, but nobody else had the time. So he was like, okay, for example, can you figure out how to set up an end-to-end A-B testing framework for us? So you execute it as an engineer, but then you also carry out certain tasks as a, as a, as a product manager. And then he framed it like, do it for search, for example. A-B test, mm. set up an A-B testing system for me for search. Try out different things. Give me an analysis. There's no time frame, which is great because I was like working remote and being pregnant, right? Um, but then he get to ease me into that role. So that was very helpful. I actually, I actually really enjoyed that. Then I got pregnant and then I came back. And um, there's a period of time where I was, uh, and we can go into that later, but there was a period of time where I was very, very tired with my newborn. I was like, mm. I can't do this. And then so the company gave me a bit more time with a sabbatical. But mm. after that, when I recovered from my sleep deprivation, um, then he came back and said, okay, can you come back? And we need a consumer product manager for this team. Just mm. hop into it. And, and, you know, there's no university of product management. There's no, you know, product management 101 crash course. He was just like, just come into it. So um, I think we were a small enough organization that those kind of opportunities were readily available. 
um, even if you're not from product management, which is like I was very grateful for. So he mm. kind of bridged the gap by seeing that, hey, you understand it from an engineering point of view. You had worked with other product managers before in the organization, kind of know what they do. Now you assume that role. Um, and, and that was that was essentially how I switched the very beginning of, of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very nice. So yeah, I think few points here, you know, um, for, for listeners and viewers, I think, I think one point that Weijia made that was really great is I think you need, if you are someone who's trying to break into product management and if you are a software engineer, you know, similar to, to Weijia's history, I think making that statement of intent is, is very important. You know, nothing's going to happen if you just sit there and, you know, wink a little bit and move a little bit. It doesn't happen that way. I think you have to be strategic in in you know just making making it known that you know you have interest in that path and then let's see whether that that has a way forward i think that's very important and i think the other one as well if for those of you who are listening you're new to to people management um i think um what what Weja has shared around how she was eased into the role i think is a fantastic example of how you you don't overload someone who hasn't been a product manager right um, again, similar to, to many experiences, including mine, you know, we when I first became a product manager, didn't really know what it was, you know, you kind of interview and they say, oh, translate the business requirements and work with engineers. Oh, sounds really good, right? You have no clue what that is. Um, but, you know, when you have the opportunity to ease into it rather than have pressure, pressure, pressure from day one, I think I've seen enough people on the show who benefited from really being able to learn the ropes, be able to you know, make mistakes along the way, stumble a little bit, and then and then you learn. So I think that that is fantastic. So yeah, that that's really cool. Mm. So another question: You were a software engineer. You 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 were Ruby on Rails engineer specifically, right? Yeah. And and Ruby on Rails engineers in Malaysia are not common, and they earn well. So I'm very curious to know. Yeah, what, did that not come into consideration when you decided to make that switch to product management, right? Because I mean, yeah, product management at, at around the time I think you made that switch, it was becoming very more popular, more hip. You know, that was like the sexy, new, shiny thing. Um, but at the same time, Ruby on Rails engineers were in high demand because I at that at, at during that period, I know even even my own company at the time were were looking for Ruby on Rails engineers, and it was so hard to find. So like. For you, like that, that wasn't a consideration. Like, oh, you know, I could earn big, big bucks as a Ruby on Rails engineer. That, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, um, if I look back at then as well, uh, with this whole Ruby on Rails growth, demand mm. growth in mm, Malaysia, mm. and not just Malaysia, actually in, in uh, Asia Pac in general. Yes. I think I think what spurred a lot of the demand was actually these boot camps because these boot camps were centering their their uh, courses around learning Ruby on Rails as the backend component for the full stack development. Mm. So what happened was, and then these uh, boot camps, what they did is that they mapped the the graduates with co-founders to build their companies. So so then if you build, if you start your company on that stack and you're growing with that stack, then actually the demand goes. And then with the scarcity uh, with Ruby on Rails engineers, at least from a you know experience perspective these new candidates started to become you know, higher and higher in demand. So I think that was maybe what happened at least in Malaysia, mm. um, where even today, our, our faith, you know, as we've grown from a 40-people company to a 400-people company, we we are, and, and Ruby on Rails is still like the core uh, backend. 
um, well looking, you know, well it's it's high it's high demand even today. So to answer your question on on um on maybe the salary aspect of it. Maybe the you career, know, like not just not just salary, you know, but just yeah. the whole career, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess it, it for me, it, it was something personal. So for me, what drives me a lot is, is impact. Um, impact to, to users, to people, to humans in general. And um, not to say that I couldn't make an impact in software engineering. I could. It, it's technical and very, very much exciting. But to me, I, I was very much wanting to get closer to the end users. If you see my journey, it's almost like, grandparent and then technology and then like getting closer the user is here and getting closer um and and to me that was what excites me so i really enjoy coding and, and every now and then i still dabble in, in building something on the side mm. um but i think what really drives me is being able to see um the the you know the usage by end users of our products mm. right when, the, when we get the aha moment when somebody actually gives brights a good review um and and I was able to do that in product, which makes me really happy. Yeah. So yeah. And but but um I I'm really glad that I went through engineering because you develop a lot of empathy for engineers. And I was able to work better with engineers because of it. But I also would say it helped me back in the transition to product. I had to switch my mindset a lot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Because that was actually going to be my next question, right? So I I've had experience with, you know, trying to get, you know. Um, software engineers into product managers and you know that journey is not easy right because you know how the code was like in your case it's even I would say in my personal opinion even harder because it's in the same company so you literally know the skeleton of the code you know where all the ghosts all the skeletons are hiding you know you know where it's incredibly inefficient and you know how do you how did you take off that hat? How do you make sure that you know I'm no longer an engineer, I'm a product manager now? You know, I can't be you know, I can't be like trying to jump into the code. I will just fix this one bug, you know, I will just do this, I will just do that, right? And and yeah, and how do you how do you, how did you take off your developer hat? Yeah, yeah, Colin, your series of good questions today. Um it was it was not easy. So the good thing again about my head of product previously was he knew this as well. He knew this was going to happen. So he already set the expectation. He said, you know what? It's probably going to take you six to 12 months to make that mindset switch. I didn't know what he was talking about back then. I was like, what mindset switch? What are you talking about? But, but on hindsight, it was so true. So, you know, oftentimes when we talk about product management, you know the three circles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, feasibility, business, and then, uh, feasibility in technical and then business and then UX users. Yeah. And um, I was living in a feasibility world. So every time, um, you know, I work with product managers in my software engineering role about building something, we talk about execution, very execution focused. It's how do I develop this? What are the 10 things I need to do in terms of writing this code to make it, to, to, to deliver the designs that the designers have given? So it was always about feasibility. It was always like, can we do this? How do we do this? Mm. So when I switched to a product mindset, I was still in that in that framework. And every time someone would come to me and say, for example, hey, I think you know, can can we build this? Um, uh, can we build this? You know, gamification feature, for example, or can we build this uh, campaign piece? And my brain was already clicking to like, oh, what are the different things I need to do? 
But with product, it's different. You cannot you cannot start with feasibility. You have to start with the why. You have to start mm. with the does it make sense for us to build this and where does it fit in our direction? Took me a long time to get that switch um, uh, going on uh, right there and, and asking the why, debating the why and forgetting about feasibility first. Because if you don't get the why right, the top of the funnel, make the choice point whether this is the right thing to do, you're building the wrong things. Mm. So... So I think that was a very, very important switch from an engineering role to a product role um, uh, to, to, to step out of that, that mindset. Lah. Even today, sometimes I fall into the trap. I, I start thinking about, oh, this is going to be very difficult. Like, and then it blocks you. you know, it blocks you from thinking big where, where, where you should be, you know, you should be, product managers should be given the comfort of being able to think big and then start small. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's something that I actually deliberately train myself to think about. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So how, how did you train yourself to do that? So that, that I think is the, what was the secret sauce? Did you like, you know, remove your GitHub access or, you know, what, what is it that you did <laughs> to, to make, you know, make that mindset switch? Oh, wow. Um, you know, uh, like, uh, people, like, I think my GitHub access was removed maybe only last year. And then, like, <laughs> I was not allowed to, like, console into the database, which you shouldn't do anyway. But, um, you know, database access was, like, no, cannot code review, PR review, everything. So all those, I do not have any of those privileges anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, no, back to your question. Your question was, how did I make the switch there, right? Because mm, you're saying that, you know, you had to make mm-hmm. that mindset switch. And I guess, you know, the, the, the critical question is, so what did you do, right? Because if, if, you know, someone who is a software engineer is trying to, okay, I know I need to map my journey into a product manager now. How yeah. do I change? How do I make that mindset switch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was probably two, two things. The first thing was my exposure to working with other product managers or product community uh, uh you know, the product community in general. So I, I really remember like a lot of times when I was, and this is why, you know, it's so important as a peer to give feedback to other peers. Mm. So I was working with, you know, different product managers, different walks of life. And uh, I remember, you know, um, product manager friends, you know, being very good about giving feedback and, and constantly telling me like, you know what, I think you're making the wrong decision here. I whatever it is, you sh- you know you should think about the user first. Like, what is the concept of user centricity, right? Uh, uh, I mean, you should be making decisions that does it make sense for the users? Like, why are you doing this? People were like prodding me, and we have this concept called poking holes. So we encourage people to like poke holes into your decisions, your choice points, and and that to, that constantly gave me a lot of. It's like stop me in my tracks and question whether I'm making the right product decisions. So I think having that that peer group, and if you don't have that peer group because sometimes you could be the only product manager in your company, you know, venture out into a community of people um, to, to really break into what does product management really mean. So to me, that's the first part, you know, working with other product managers, being very open to feedback, questions, and then being curious and, and learning from other community people in the product. Then second thing was I also did a lot of reading. Mm. Reading doesn't mean like just product management books, also, although you know we all you know read like the Marty Kagan's product bible and whatnot. Um, but also just a lot of writings on the wall. I, I actually really 
like reading stuff that people write on blogs because these are fresh, these are raw, these are perspectives. Mm. Um, and some, and the more I read, sometimes the more I realize there's no one way to skin a cat. You know, like just recently I read this. Oh, I think you posted it. Um, you post up this blog about, and it and like uh, it completely switches the mindset. Like people say, don't start with solutions, but then mm. actually start I think you posted that. Yeah, Thanks yeah, yeah. For yeah. <laughs> so I learned from stuff like that. Mm. Um, yeah, it really helps um, me to get into the product mindset. Okay, okay. Thanks for sharing. So yeah, I'm, again, um, lovely, lovely sharing because I think I resonate with a lot of that. Like you know, like you say, you know, I read books, but I also find that with less time, books become harder to complete. So mm. were, in the days before COVID, when you know we used to be able to travel. Um, yeah, I used to read a lot of articles while I was on the train to 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 work, and that that was how I would get my you know quick hits. You know, I used to have this target, you know, ten articles on the way there, ten articles on the way back, and then that's that's yeah. So yeah, I definitely yeah. agree with you there about the you know. Yeah, yeah, and actually, you know, what you're doing with PM Huddle and the community is really great, Colin. See, you are you are you are really contributing to you know future product managers everywhere. Thank you, thank you. But like I said, it was it all always started with, you know, I needed something for myself, and then you realize that yeah, if you could help yourself, you could also help a lot of other people. Like to your point, right? If you're a product manager, you should be trying to help out other people as well. So yeah, it it it's definitely, you know, I'm I feel really good. That, you know, at least people are saying, yeah, there is some value that that came out of it. Uh, so yes, thank you. Uh, okay, so let's let's move on a little bit um, and and talk about you know now you're the product manager and you're working in so for those of you who don't know Faith is a you know a tech startup and you know you work with a very hands-on founder right so mm-hmm. this is usually by far the most questions I usually get about outside of work when people will come to me message me and ask you know how do you work with you know hands-on uh, co-founders because I think there are two types of you know CEO slash co-founders right you have the ones who are like all right these are the 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 KPIs that I want to see these are the results I want to see okay go go hunt then there's the other type who would be like okay you know um I really like this idea blah 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 and you know and those two uh they both can achieve the same outcome but they are working with them is very different so for from your perspective how do you work with uh, Joel Neo? Um, so he's mm-hmm. the founder of Faith, and you know how how do you manage that um, as a product leader, right? Because obviously, it's never going to be perfect. You know, anyone who thinks that you'll find a company where you get to do everything by yourself, I think you need to stop drinking the Kool Aid. Um, you know, and or if you're in a, you think you're in a position that's really really bad. Well, not really, also because you know, and unfortunately, we are people, so everyone has their own opinions and what they want to do so yeah how, yeah. how do you work with your, your founder and your ceo sure 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 um i've worked with joe for for good six years now in diff- in varying interactions so even when i was a software engineer he was the kind of leader that was very interested in his people he would walk up and we had a very flat organization he would uh like literally everyone sat on one floor we could see everyone else he would walk up to me i remember this time i was pregnant and just you know, strike a conversation with me. So I, so I think back then, um, uh, back then I didn't work so closely with him, but now it's mm-hmm. like day to day, weekly, we, we yeah. work very closely together. Um, so hands-on founder, I would say Joe is is a combo. He there are different levels where he is he is quite hands-on, 
but he also gives a lot of autonomy uh, and empowerment to the team um, to basically take the reins and, and make decisions to go forward, which I which I, I respect. Um, and I'm not just saying that I really mm. respect him either. Mm. Um, so maybe I'll tackle like the question, right? So because there are moments that he is very hands-on, he gives a lot of direction, and there are moments where he gives a lot of, you know, it, it will be a bit more vague, but that's our job. That's mm-hmm. our job to turn the, the vagueness into certainty. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of hands-on, maybe maybe what I can, or uh, and not just with Joe, but maybe on a general basis working with stakeholders, I think stakeholders, when we say hands-on, it could mean that they're very solution-driven, right? So they're very much like, I have a hypothesis that I believe it's very true, build it. Um, maybe that could be an interpretation of what hands-on means. Mm. Um, uh, and, and I think a lot of, a lot of my you know, discussions with my product management team or my product design team, they, they always feel very scared <laughs> when, you, when stakeholders come to them with a design. Mm-hmm. And you know, stakeholders like screenshot the app and then design something and send it to you, and they're like, "Isn't that my job?" You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether you've experienced mm-hmm. it, but mm-hmm. a lot of um, you know, not just in this company, other companies as well. I talk mm-hmm. about just and, yeah. and they feel offended when people do that. Mm-hmm. But I look at it differently. I look at it as you're coming to the table to talk about a hypothesis or concept that you want to validate or invalidate, and and they're always. And you know, you've got to read between the lines that are coming to me with, with a in between the lines that says, debate this with me, talk to mm. me about this, tell me whether this is good or bad. And then it's the product manager's role to step in and actually do the debate. You know, don't take it as, I think sometimes maybe unintentionally, you might fall into it and say, hey, Joe is a founder, he's a CEO. So his, his um, voice carries a lot of weight, his opinion carries a lot of weight, and this is directional. Mm. Not we got to remember is not necessarily like got to take it that founders are reasonable people too. They want to see the success of the company. So if something doesn't make sense, you tell them it doesn't make sense. You got to, you know, step up to the step up the plate and debate with them mm. objectively. You know, why is this a good idea? Why isn't this a good idea? Now, what's the judgment call that we're going to do with this? What's the direction of the company? Is this a problem that we want to fight? Because it could be the right, it could be a big problem, but hey, it's just not within the vision of the company. So, mm. so I think that is how I've learned to also work, not just with Joel, but stakeholders in general, mm. Mm. when it comes to being very hands-on or coming to me with a solution because their personal uh, experiences or personal biases thinks it's a good or bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think it's, it's something that, you know, it, it's a skill to train as well in terms of how to tackle these questions. Mm, um, always mm. read between the lines that it's a debate with me. Think, you know, think about the big picture. Don't think about this person as um, just someone you need to adhere to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. I, I think I've mentioned this as well before, you know, that um, especially for, for CEO who are founders as well, we, we got to remember this is their baby as well, right? They, they built yeah. this from scratch. So it's not always easy for them to let go. Um, and, and sometimes it's it's also not a question of letting go or not. You know, it's just that they are so attuned to what the industry needs and wants. Um, they're talking to different, you know, other other leaders as well within the industry. So they have ideas. Um yeah. and and mm-hmm. they just want to throw it out there. 
and of course, yeah, of course, the initial intention is I think is a great idea. And like Weijia, like what you said, then we have to you know bring them down a little bit. Okay, you this is the solution, but let's start with okay, why is this important? Does this fit with you know where the company wants to go? Is this the vision? Does it take away from anything else that we're doing? You no, know, do we need to do it now? Um, all, all sorts of questions. Um, I was just telling a uh, 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 someone I know um, just recently, I think, you know, sometimes it's just that they want to be heard. And then after that, the, then the, our role is to then take that in and say, okay, let me sit on this and see, okay, does it make sense or not? Because I think the bias on the other side, and this is something that I know I do all the time and I always have to catch myself, is that you your first instinct is to oh but we don't have you know everybody's doing something already you know our, <laughs> our our quarterly goals are set you know roadmap already there you know and then yeah, you, yeah. You're like, okay don't. but i have to catch myself okay let me really sit down and think about this objectively um and and not feel like you know either a my opinion is being threatened or two you know i feel like there's a loss of control um and really look at it uh, objectively because yeah. that's Unfortunately, as a product manager, you know, I know some people always say, oh, you know, if you're not coming up with ideas, you're not a good product manager. I kind of disagree. Your role as a product manager is to take what's the best idea. It doesn't matter whether it came from you, the founder, yeah. the engineer, the janitor, anyone, anyone. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like sometimes, you know, know what? Sometimes it's almost like ideas are never original. There's always some, you come from somewhere, inspired mm. from somewhere. And and I think it goes back. I lo- I like how you said the instinct, uh, your first instinct. And I, I absolutely resonated when you said that. When someone comes to you and then you start going like, but my roadmap is this, you know, and and I I really think that you cannot be married to our roadmap. Yes, we got to be executioner, etc. But um I absolutely agree with you. I think when someone comes to this, you gotta you know sit down, you gotta not think about execution already. Same thing like my engineering mindset kicks in, right? You can't think about execution already. You, you gotta start thinking about like vision, strategy, like you know, is this does this make sense in six months? Is this something right. that's gonna be game changer? Like, okay, mm-hmm. let's display at a strategic level first before we go executional. So yeah, um, yeah I really okay. Yeah, is there do you have any like you know, either frameworks or tips or tricks that you would use when you come to these situations? Like, you know, do you usually have a set of questions that you would ask or do you usually use like, you know, oh, okay, let's go to the Kano method or, you know, the, the, the rice method or something like that. Like, is there anything that you do specifically or for you it's always, okay, you know, I read this, let's try this or I just figured this out, let's try this. You know, any yeah, any specifics that that, you know, you use in order to handle yeah. stakeholders? Yeah, yeah. I think okay. So, so I would say that you know all those men rise. I know and tried all of them. Mm. Um, <laughs> um. So, so I would say that uh, you know, you apply different frameworks at different levels of conversations or different levels of mm. going deeper into the product. If I had to, if I had to go with a blanket, like say, you know, you're talking to a stakeholder and you're just, you know, having to make some quick judgments of your ask some critical questions um yeah so i i think it, it's always very important to ask those critical questions whenever you're dealing with stakeholders anybody in general in terms of debating about certain product ideas if i had to distill at that level you're in a room you're in stakeholders someone gives you an idea if you can't remember any other framework you just always start with why right mm. like simon sinek's famous like always start with why ask mm, why mm, ask mm. why five times 
um, uh, to, to get those critical questions as to why this person thinks this is a good idea. A lot of times, I think you also mentioned it a little bit, the reason why this person could come to the table with this and you don't agree with it is because they have a context that you do not have. And you need to find out as a product manager, what is it in that context that you don't have first? Then the second point is judging whether that context is valid or not. And then sharing your context with the person. So it's almost an interchange of context. Mm. So if there's, you know, frameworks aside, I feel the frameworks part happens when you go into the second level, you start collating a lot of different information from people and you have to build a matrix. That's where rice comes in. That's where you do your impact effort analysis and manage mm. trade-offs. Mm. So I think there's different levels where you apply different frameworks. The first one where you're dealing in a one-on-one situation, just you know, always start with why. If that's one thing that you remember. Second one, then is you have a billion things on your plate that you need to do, then you distill it to those frameworks. You know, apply and in very basic, you know, apply the rice frameworks. But again, I don't think you should ever apply frameworks in isolation of, of the circumstance and context of your organization. Um for example, what I mean by this is you could apply rice framework and rice framework is premised on like impact. Mm. But then if you apply it blindly without correlating it with the mission statement, what you'll realize is that you could be solving a problem that you are not in the position to solve as part of your vision or mission or mm. stuff. So, so I think that comes with judgment after years of experience as a product manager, how you can ensure that you're not, uh, you know, blindly applying like some, something you read on a blog post. Mm, yeah. mm. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, thanks. Thanks for that. So let's, let's move on a little bit. I want to touch a little bit on scaling product teams as well. Right. So again, for those of you who don't know, so we just journey into product management. So she was a software engineer, then became product manager, then became head of product, and now she's regional head of product, all in the same company, right? So um, that's why I think you, you make a very good, your story makes a really good listening. Um, and so the question here is, how do or how did or how do you continuously scale the product team, right? Because it's different when it's, you know, you are having one product manager it's different when you're having four product managers it's different when you have 20 product managers so how you know what is your approach to scaling the team like what what are the things that you look at um in terms of you know when is the right time to scale i guess would be the first question and second question is um how do you also scale the individuals within the team right because obviously not i mean no product manager that i know at least wants to stay as an associate product manager or just as a, a principal product manager like you know, people want to become, you know, lead product managers. They want to be like senior product managers. How, how do you manage that? So two, two questions there, two very loaded questions, by the way. So feel free to let me know if you know, that's just crazy. <laughs> oh, no, that's good. Um, so I would say that I've gone through this journey of being a cowboy product manager, <laughs> a startup product manager, you know, one that, you know, don't really adhere to your typical definitions of a product manager. And then slowly like legitimize um, ourselves to become a you know proper product management team. Uh. But even then, there's still a lot to learn, right? Um, so what I mean by that is uh, you know, I'll answer the question maybe with the journey. Um, when we started out, uh, when I started out as a product manager, I mean, this is year one of the organization when the company was at zero or you know, 0.5, um, the you know, the zero to one to one hundred journey. 
Um, so in that in that sense, we were we had maybe one consumer product manager, one merchant product manager, one head of product, twenty engineers, something like that, and and essentially there was no um we we I wouldn't say that we had any structure on even say goal settings, um yeah. or vision statement, mission statement. You know what was that? Not clear communicated if it, if there was one maybe it was at the head of product level mm. but not widely communicated to the organization such that you know everyone can directionally align and maybe that was okay not too bad because you were still at a product market fit stage we we're figuring out you know we we knew there was a problem we're still figuring out how we're solving the problem so in that time i didn't have any frameworks i didn't have any um i didn't even know what my job description was um, I knew I had to work with engineers. I knew I had to organize what the engineers had to do. <laughs> um, and, I, and I knew that there were problems in the app, like bugs to be fixed, mm. etc. So maybe I started my role as a bug squasher, you know? Like CHT, uh, our customer happiness team will come in mm. and say like, oh, there's this problem. Okay, fix it. There's that problem, fix it. I didn't really have a roadmap. Mm. Um, mm. My roadmap was one sprint, maybe. Um, so that was how I started as a product manager. We were solving problems, but maybe not at scale mm. and not necessarily knowing where the direction was. Um, so it's, I think, I, you know, I did that for a while and there's some clarity. I think what really changed things was when my head of product left the organization. Mm. So... People often see people leaving the company as a very scary thing because, you know, this security blanket, this backup person is like now leaving. How do I make decisions? Who do I go with? But time and time again, I see it as an opportunity. It, it actually translates into a very good thing because there was a gap. And when there's a gap, then people have to fill the gap. And typically those that are interested in filling the gap would be again you you give the intent you give you get the opportunity so i was maybe one of a couple of product managers that stepped into a more leadership position after our head of product left and then i sat down and reflected what were the problems that i was facing as a product manager that i could solve for the rest of the team so for example in a uh, for example, there's no, there was no such thing as a growth path in product management in my, my organization when, when my head of product left. Everyone was a flat product manager. But even then, some people interpreted their roles. So like some people can feel like, oh, I'm senior. So let me just give myself a title. Or some people may feel like, hey, I'm a... Uh, uh, I don't know, people just started giving themselves like really interesting titles. And so I sat down with Joe at that time. I said, Joe, I think we need to you know, give some clarity into what growth meant as a product mm. manager. And I think this will organize the team into a more structured way. And it's very interesting because he came to me, he's like, but if you look at Google, everyone's a product manager. There's no hierarchy there. Like, why does it matter? Mm. Um, but I beg to differ, right? If you don't have like clear direction of what a person can grow into, into an organization, how will they know? And how, and if they can't grow, how can your company grow? Yep. So, so I, I think I was the, one of the first teams in the company that said, I want to build a department career structure. So that's when then we then the thing, but I've never done it before. 
So that's when you look outwards and there's, you know, the world is your oyster these days. Everything's on the internet, right? Mm. You look at mm. how these Silicon Valley's structure their organizational structure. And to me, I'm like, there's no one way to do it, but hey, you experiment, you emulate one that you think suits your company. And then you build a structure, give clarity to the team. So we had we started saying that, okay, we want APMs, we want PMs, we want senior PMs, we want APMs. We want two tracks. We want a specialist track, but we also want to build people managers within the product team. So that's had like the basic structure that we continue to use today. So that product man, so we could evaluate what level of product managers we need to work on what type of products. Um, so I think that was something that, you know, no one ever taught me. Um, I learned from, you know, communities and internet and so on and mm. so forth. Mm. Um, but I feel like that was one of the things I was very glad to do because people started getting clarity on their roles. Yeah. Um, I think other things, and last one, I think other things is also like how do you define the how do you define what product managers did what in the organization? Mm. Because when you start growing, so maybe when you start with a first product manager, that product manager owns the entire app. Yep. Then after that, if you start with a second product manager, how do you distribute it? Right? Is it is it by funnel? Mm. Is it by uh back and front end? Is it by platforms? Mm. Um, I think that's something that you know only that organization can answer in terms of what are your goals of the team. Is your goal activating more customer? Then maybe you need to create a product manager role just to focus on user activation, user adoption. Or is your goal I want to create a strategic product? Then you build a product manager role for that strategic product. So I think those were things that I also learned along the way. Yeah. Okay, very nice, very um, enlightening. Um, yeah, I wish I could jump into that a bit more, but um, I actually want to jump into the, the next part of it. So I will leave this for now, and maybe, you know, one day we'll get you back on the show for a second time <laughs> to, to jump more into, you know, scaling product teams. Um, but just last, last note on, you know, just scaling product teams. I think um, what we just said is really true, right? There are lots and lots of information out there. So... Um, I'll just, again, you know, I tell, I tell a lot of stories based on my own personal anecdotes. I was speaking to another product manager. He was like, oh, you know, do you have any um, scaling frameworks of how do you organize your product team? I was like, actually, oh, um, recently uh, TransferWise, now rebranded as Wise. They actually mm. made transparent their entire product, um, yeah. product structure. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, so so my, my, my advice, I guess, to anyone is, yeah, search. It's there's somebody who's done it before. Um, and we don't have to always reinvent the wheel. So yeah. And and I also like the part where you said different teams or at different organizations structure their product teams differently. You know, at uh, for example, how Facebook versus Google, how they organize it is quite different. As then when you look at Amazon, different. And then, you know, if you take yourself outside of the fang tech companies and then go one tier smaller, you know, it's different, right? It also depends on at what stage your, your company is at. So yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Let's let's go to to this part which I'm very interested to to know more about. And that is on being a female product leader. Um yeah, I know I know some people say, oh, it's so cliche. Well I don't for me it's not. Um this show has always been about product leaders in in Asia as much as possible. In fact, uh, try mm. to zoom in on Southeast Asia even more. Um, and I think we really don't have enough female product leaders. Um, and, and that's why I think this, this, this is a topic that's you know, slightly closer 
to my heart. And uh, if you've been following this show from the start, I think it was episode three. Um, I interviewed um, Sylvia from, from Zalora. And she yeah. was also talking about how you know, it was tough for her um, when she became a mom. Um, but her context was slightly different because at that point in time, she had been moved to the CTO role. So she was the senior VP, I think, of product. And then she actually made the transition into a CTO role, which was slightly different. But in your case, your story is even more interesting, right? You literally got pregnant, had your kid, and then did product management transition all at the same time. Um, yeah. how, how do you handle that? You know, not just from at that time, but I mean, in general, as a mother of, of, uh, of a boy, uh, I mean, of a, of a child, not just a boy, but uh, um, yeah, how, how do you handle that? Like motherhood, being a product leader, you know, and, and just handling everything all at one go. Yeah, you know what? Being a mother definitely made me a better, better person and also better person at work, um, whether it's better leader, etc. And why I say that is um, you often hear this uh, term, right? If you want something done, give it to a busy person. <laughs> so, um, I, so I, the, one, the one I heard was, if you want something done, you do it yourself. So. <laughs> I mean, there's that too. There's that too. But, it, but, but, but this goes down to prioritization. <laughs> Famous, you know, another product thing, right? But mm. it goes down to prioritization. So having my son had made me realize that I needed to be more efficient or, or prioritize better with how I wanted to get more things done in the day. After becoming a mom, I, I actually like classify myself as a really time poor person. I just don't have time. Um, and, I, and what that meant was I needed to make very important decisions or just be able to figure out how to do more things better. So, um, so I think for me, what uh what it really taught me is um number one my family is very important to me my work is also very important to me but i would always tell myself to have dedicated you know dedicated time for my family as well um in terms of and then when i spend time with my son it's really spending time with my son it's it's spending the it's not just you know sitting him sitting with him. I mean, yes, I sit and look at him, but I actually use all those moments as as uh, opportunities to you know teach him or educate him and or turn playtime into something that could be very meaningful for him. Like right now, I'm on this. Uh, right now, I have a project where I'm trying to teach him how to spell. Um, he's not going to school because of the pandemic. I started reading a lot about, you know, phonics teaching, et cetera. And actually, you know, spent, and that to me is like my project to spend time with him whilst like growing together with him. Um, so I really have these segments where I, where I would tell people as well, like between these times, sorry, you know, I won't be available. Mm. Um, like I do have a tendency to, okay, I work early and then I finish and then I manage my kid and I could come back later. Mm, um, mm. And, and to me it's very important to have those moments where I you know read him his storybooks before he go to bed have a chat with him before I go to bed it's like daily rituals that I do not want to miss mm. in his lifetime um, so I think that's like just me in terms of how I think about what's important to me and how I prioritize wanting to do well in work as well as family mm. doesn't always work I'll tell you that but mm. my better. I think okay. the second thing also is Everyone in my organization knows I'm a mom. I make it very clear. I don't hide it at all. 
Um, mm. and, and I think it's important for people to know that as a start, just to know that they can become moms in this organization. Mm. For example, I was watching this tick, this video by an ex-product manager in TikTok from TikTok, and she was mm. telling you why she left. I don't know whether yeah, you yeah, saw yeah, that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And she all was saying like, now. it's all it went viral. She was saying that I don't feel I can become a mom in this organization, and I don't want people to feel that. Mm. So, mm. so you know, setting that example, showing people that I am a mom, then comes into uh, like I would have an all hands. And there are times where like, I'll say, Ben, come here, you make the intro <laughs> mm, mm, mm. for the product. And there was this time he came in and he said, hi, my name is Ben. This is the product roadmap. And then he like scuttles off and do his own thing. So, <laughs> so, you know, to me that, you know, like that was just being cute. But to me, it, it's one thing to set an example that it's okay. Your kid comes in, interrupts a call. You know, it's okay. Mm. You have a life, you have family. That's normal. Um, normalizing these things for the rest of the organization so they know that they can have a family and they're not meant to be robots in this company. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. yeah. And and I also know that, you know, you're alluding to this earlier in our call that um, I, it, it seems like you had a little bit of postpartum um, depression as well um, after you had your son. Was that, is that right? Yeah. I don't know whether you call it postpartum depression, but it was definitely very like angsty for okay, me. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, okay. So what happened, what happened was, uh, I gave birth to my son. Mm. Um, again, like someone told me, my CTO told me before I gave birth to my son, he said like, get as much sleep as possible before you give birth to your son. Never understood what that meant. To <laughs> so, uh, do you have a, do you have kids Colin? Yes. I have two boys. Oh, okay, okay. So it's probably you can empathize with some of this. Don't know whether your wife went to this. <laughs> <laughs> you had to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I gave birth to um gave birth to my son and it was I never knew what sleep deprivation was until you know he was born. Mm. And I did not know that kids, that babies just don't sleep. They wake up every one or two hours every night. Mm. And and during my and so I went through my maternity leave period, going through that newborn motion where I was, I was just I was just in this sleepy stupor where I was interchanging between like breastfeeding him, like like changing diapers, thinking about what I'm how am I going to handle this when I get back to work because I didn't have I I had some help but. Mm. Um, I had some part-time help, but but night times were just the worst. Um, mm, mm. And I really did not know how to, how I was going to be a mom and work. So I was actually going to quit my job. I was oh, actually wow. at this stage where I, I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't mm. think I can, I don't think I can have any mental capacity to think about work and be good at it and it will kill me. And I remember I was like, I, I said, I need to talk to my CEO. I reported mm, to him. Mm, mm. Pick up the phone, called him. I said, Zumi, you know, I started crying. Zumi, I don't think I can do this. Like, what do I do? Um, I don't think I can come back to work. I was so I'm so tired. And Zumi, thank goodness, he had kids on his own. He's like, why don't you think about remote part-time? Mm. And take the time that you need. You know, he was very understanding. He's like, you know, thank you for telling me that you can't do this. So thank you for just sharing the troubles that you have. We want you back in the organization, but let's see what we can do about this. Mm. So, so, so he's like, come, come in and talk about this. Like, why do you come in? Let's have a chat. 
So I, I remember Ben was like three months old. I carried him in my carrier. I, I took the train to the office. And I was, you know, as a first-time mom, you're always very scared being alone with the kid, right? Mm. Like, oh, no, going to office. So I carried him there. I remember being in conference room with my CTO. And I was just carrying him and then talking to Zumi and just telling him about the struggles that I was having. And he was just like listening very casually. Ben fell asleep. And we worked out a plan, you know, we worked out a plan that on how I could start work and incrementally come back to the organization. And to me, those kind of leaders that that was fine with, um, uh, that, you know, their priority was bringing back talent. Their priority was not, hey, I need to run a business. And, you know, that, that was the priority too, but they, they saw long term. Mm. If that didn't happen, I would have left the, the employment industry four years ago. Mm, so, mm. so I think we need to see more and more empathetic leaders like this mm. who are thinking long term about retaining female talent within the industry, and I would do that without a blink for for the next female talent who want to do this. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think that's that's really good to know, and and I guess you know for me being a dad myself, um, I think it's also important. So if you're if you're men, if you're listening to this. Mm. Take this as the hardest slap that I can give you. Don't let your wife do everything. Right? Don't don't be the yeah, don't be the douche who because you have a job. I mean, your wife has a job. Yeah, both everyone is working, right? Help out. So don't yeah, don't be that guy who just sits around and does nothing. So I'm oh, sorry. I just I just had to say that because yeah, I think men get a free pass for a lot of things, and I think it's really hard if you are a working mom and you're not having enough support at home. I think that also really just makes it difficult for everyone. So, yeah. Oh, you get you get a gold star for that, Colin. You can replace <laughs> your wife later. We have proof of that, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. I'll, I'll show it to my wife and then she'll okay, now do more dishes, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good for you, Colin. Yeah, Comment. Yeah. But it, it's tough. I mean, and I think in this case, you know, um, I'm not, no, not, not trying to, you know, take away from you know the great female leaders that we have um, within our industry or even all around um, but there are things that I think we need to make sure that things happen so like for me the the schedule is always you know all right you know I've got my dinner time with family so that's that's my legit time you know I'm not going to reply mm-hmm. any messages and then I have to obviously do the dishes mm-hmm. we don't have any help um, and then after that go in and put the kids to bed and then after that I will I will come back and I'll you know look at look at emails and start doing what, what other things that I need to do. Um yeah. and and I think it's important for that because I guess it was going to be a question for you, but I guess now it's probably more a statement, right? Because in product management, you know, a lot of people always say, right, work-life balance in product management kind of doesn't really exist. Um, mm. if I'm if you know if we're being honest, you know, we can talk about how you know we we need to have the balance, but I think a lot of it has to do with learning how to juggle it. So I, I'm not sure whether that's considered work-life balance, um, but I guess that's what most, most product people do who have families, right? So now I'm going to flip this into a question for you, which is how do you do that? How do you juggle everything um, as a mom? Because I know just now you mentioned that, yeah, you know, you, you become more efficient because, you know, you're, you're now a mom. What other things do you do to make sure that you have not just you know you can function at work be a mom but also i guess you know how do you find time to invest in yourself like you know um, learn more about the industry 
or just read up about life or just relax? Mm. Or does that not mm. happen for you? Mm, mm, mm. No, no, I, I, um, I have to exercise self-love. Um, as, in, uh, as in that is something that I learned about myself mm. during the pandemic as well. Um, so, so I'll try to answer your question in multiple ways. So I think mm. the, the first thing is, um, okay, so someone asked the question before, or rather you could ask yourself the question and think about it. They always ask you like, um, how do you prioritize these things in life? I think there was something like yourself, your spouse, your kids, your family. And there was one more thing I cannot remember. And I always used to answer that question with, oh yeah, work. I remember. And the fifth thing was work. So, so if you had to prioritize this in order of sequence, like how would you answer that? My husband, without a blink, he will always prioritize himself. And I never understood that because I will always say, oh, spouse, child, mm. work, blah, blah, blah. But this pandemic, I realized why you need to prioritize yourself above everything else. Because if you don't, actually everything else will crumble. So I went through a period of time where in the, the depths of despair during the pandemic, where we had to draw a roadmap, things were, things were challenging at that period of time. Now we're definitely um, doing much better. Mm. Um, I was feeling a lot of self-doubt as a product leader. And I was a fresh like head of product at a point in time. Mm. And a lot of this, and I was doing so much for the company, for the team that, and I did not know I was going through all this pent up stress that actually translated into a lot of anxiety attacks. And I did not know that there were anxiety attacks until I was in this meeting and um, I was doing a presentation and I started struggling to breathe. <laughs> wow. And I, yeah, and, and I had to literally say, okay, I cannot talk anymore. Um, you know, person A, person B can take over the presentation. And I was having this sort of like meltdown, like mm-hmm. literal meltdown. And after the call, I, I was wondering what was that physical experience about? Like what happened? And I started, you know, talking to some psychiatrists, some therapists. And I'm the sort of person that, like you said, I like to uncover the black box. And when I understood it from a chemical perspective, whereby I was focus on work so much and not caring about myself, I developed all these stress chemicals that, that, you know, the fight or flight mode, right? If you don't, if you don't do something to release those chemicals, then your body will, will like contract and muscle up. So what do you need to do in order to, to fix that? You actually need to spend time on yourself, meaning go and exercise, do a run, release those uh, endorphins you know like let mm. let the stresses out chemicals out of your body um and that was where i realized like i actually started investing more time i, I told myself like work is work and there's going to be a ton of things but i don't care i'm going to go in and play some tennis i'm going to go and mm. do a run because if i don't do that i cannot perform for you um yeah. so and then set that as an example to the rest of the team as well because to show that it's okay to spend time on yourself yeah um so i think maybe that's like one way to answer your question (laughs) Mm, mm. that it's important to be selfish sometimes as well as a start for how you balance everything else in your life technically that's not being selfish though I think it's just taking care of yourself Um, and again right we again I don't know I don't know about other cultures I'll speak for the Asian culture because I'm Asian we always think that you know if we're thinking about ourselves we're being selfish and and I think you know that's really not fair Um, because Mm. like you say right if you don't take care of your own mental health, how are you going to help 
an organization? How do you be a good product leader if you can't even keep it to, together or have a way to cope? Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think it's selfish at all in any respect. Yeah. I think it's just being responsible, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything, I hope that's a reminder for anybody else that's a workaholic like myself, you know? you got to really spend time for yourself. Do some self-love, yeah. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Um, so I guess on just last last question on, on this, you know, part of being a female product leader. You know, are there any struggles of being a female product leaders that you feel that you know you want to let the listeners or viewers know on, on how you know we can be better as an industry or as as leaders, you know, of how we can help. You don't if you don't have it, then it's fine. I'm just throwing up the question out there. I think that. It's sad to say this, but I think it's something we need to do more as an industry mm. is consciously think about how to bring diversity into your organization, not just females, but mm. diversity in general. I think a lot of times people look at, I have a business goal, for example, mm. and I think I need this person to fit within that, that, um, that profile in order to drive the business goal. But a lot of times I feel that diversity is the thing that brings the 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 quality of your product and performance up to the next level mm. so that you don't fall into that collective biasness of or you know herd mentality within your organization. So so I think it's important and it has to start from the top that you embrace this kind of diversity versus versus building a completely homogenous organization. Mm. And if I translate that back to females, I think more specifically uh, and my husband does this a lot. He mm. actively thinks about: Do I have enough representation of female leaders or female people in my organization? How do I bring females upwards in the organization? Mm. He thinks about this a lot, which I commend him for. Mm. Sometimes he might not get a, uh, uh, you know, sometimes people might not understand why he does that. But I like it that he does. He's a you know, and I think, you know, gen, you know if, if, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, always think about that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, we've actually gone on for quite a bit. Um, not the longest episode by any means, but um, yeah, I'm always conscious that once we hit the the, the one hour mark, um, uh, yeah. I try not to do a full Joe Rogan. So, <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, all right. Let's let's go to the to the last section. This this is always usually my favorite section, which is about the song. So I always ask all guests to choose a song, which they would like to recommend to listeners and viewers. You know, whether they feel like it's a it's a representation of who they are in music, or whether it's just you know something that they like to listen to. Doesn't matter. It's just a song. So yes, please tell us about the song that you chose and why. Yeah, um, so I like this song, but I also have a lot of uh, interesting reasons why I like this song. Um, so it's uh, My Universe, which is a collaboration by, you know, BTS and Coldplay, two bands that I really love as well. Yes, I'm a BTS army fan as well. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I love... Um, Coldplay, Coldplay is a nostalgic kind of a band that, that, that I enjoy. I think mostly because in my dating years with my husband, we actually went to see a Coldplay concert. And that to us was, and we both love Coldplay and getting to see them live. They are such an amazing band. 
Chris Martin is so talented. He might not have like the best voice, your standard musical lyrical voice, but he is such a great um, musician, right? So mm. really, really love Coldplay. BTS is a phenomenon. Like they they have really elevated, you know, Asians to the next level in in ways that's so unimaginable. And I think that and they've been so strategic about it. I think that's that's the thing. Um, you know, they they have been so strategic about penetrating like the, the Western market whilst preserving their you know Asian culture and making it and and really like making everyone uh so crazy about them, you know, the mm, whole how you mm. how you foreign wave and um and, and their songs. So I think um they they are just an amazing amazing kind of uh, a band um and it's just a good song it's just a catchy song if i'm down on a saturday i'll be like let's just turn it on and just makes everything better <laughs> nice did you yeah. did you go to the coplay concert when they went to singapore like what three years back four years back i can't remember now. uh no i didn't but i went to the coplay concert when they were in uh sydney Okay, okay. Yeah, and they were in Sydney, and mm. yeah, it was great. It was amazing. I would totally go again if they come back to this part of the region. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. That is true. So fantastic. So the song was called "My My Universe." Um, a collaboration between Coldplay and BTS, right? Yeah. Fantastic. So I think I've only had one other guest who was a K-pop fan. I think it was Jonathan. Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, nice. I don't see a lot of male BTS fans. Um, but, oh, he. Uh, good, but good, he's yeah. like he's like. Otaku all the way, so. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. so yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put the link up here again somewhere up there. Um, to, to the episode <laughs> from from Jonathan, it was very interesting, and uh, yeah, he's he's, yeah, it was it was a great session. So yeah, so thank you, thank you for for the song, and also in general for you know sharing your thoughts, being super honest, super open. Um, you know, it's not it's not easy for everyone to really talk about their struggles, to talk about, you know, what, how they started out, you know, all the, you know, all the zits and what's and everything in between. So yes, I really appreciate that. I'm sure the listeners and, and, and the viewers do as well. And as the last question for, for the show, do you have anything that you want to leave, you know, whether it's a quote or, you know, a saying or a story, I don't know, whatever that it is that you want to leave with, with our viewers mm-hmm. and listeners before we go. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I think if there's one thing, um, never let fear or discomfort stop you from, from you know, pushing and achieving your, your dreams, so to say. I think there's always this one quote that keeps me alive, like, um, Courage is not the absence of fear, but the knowledge that there is something more important than fear that you're you're going for. The brave might not live forever, but the cautious never live at all. So mm. I always hold that, you know, because I'm a person that that sometimes, you know, generally everyone gets scared in life, but I don't think that should ever stop you from going forward and achieving what you want to achieve. Super profound, super profound. So yes, that was uh, Chen Weijia, the regional head of product for Faith. Yes, I got it right this time. So <laughs> um, yes, and, yeah, okay. Um, so thank you everyone for this episode. I just wanted to close this episode by just saying, you know, um, for those of us in Southeast Asia, you know, the the markets are opening up. You know, people seem to be going back to work please be safe. If you're not vaccinated, please go and get yourself vaccinated. Otherwise, I will reach through this screen and I will punch you. Um, and 
yeah, just just take it easy. Yeah? Don't just go all crazy because we're on the way out and I'm super thankful for that. But we're also at a stage where, you know, if we're careless, um, yeah, a lot of good, good work over the last year and a half can be undone. So be safe, wear a mask, get vaccinated, drink lots of water, you know, because the Chinese Asian way is water cures everything. If you're sick, you drink water, right? You, you, if your body feeling hot, drink water. I bet you even if, if they could, they'd probably tell you if you have cancer, you can drink water. So I'm sorry, I'm just making Asian jokes right now. All right, goodbye, bye-bye, and I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>